Let's pray. Father, as we come to the Scriptures this morning, may they ring fresh in our hearts today. These are words we have heard before and celebrated before, but I pray that they would never lose their power in our life, that we would stand in wonder and amazement at what you have done. I pray this in your name. Amen. Before World War II, there were very few people who understood what the equation E equals MC squared meant. But after the atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the world understood what nuclear power could do. And in a similar way, before September 11, 2001, we may have heard stories about the potential that there was for people to use planes as missiles and fly them into buildings. But it seemed like only a few took that seriously. And then 9-11 came and we understood how serious a threat that could be. And our world was changed. And if you go back to that day and you remember where you were when you heard that news, you probably experienced several emotions that morning. Emotions like shock, horror, and disbelief. I remember I was at a breakfast meeting that morning and I was driving back to church when I heard those words that all the planes were to be grounded. I thought, what? I mean, is this really happening? Is this sort of a joke like the War of the Worlds story that you heard of in the past, you know? Is there something happening that's kind of a practical joke? Or is this real? And when I got back to the church, you know, we had heard more of the story. And so we said, you know, we need to set up a TV or something to be able to watch this and see what's going on. And we watched in shock and horror and disbelief as we saw one and then both of the World Trade Towers collapse. And you were left with questions that day wondering, what just happened? I mean, and who did this and why and how can this be? Well, I want to suggest that that's probably how Mary and the women and the disciples felt on that Good Friday when they saw Jesus crucified. They witnessed this action in shock and horror and disbelief. What just happened here? I mean, this wasn't supposed to end this way. They had just a few days before seen the crowds hail Him as King. And and they believed that this was the time when Jesus was coming to establish His kingdom on earth. And now, He's dead. When the women came to the tomb on Sunday morning, they were not expecting a resurrection. They came because of their love and respect for Jesus. They wanted to finish His burial in a proper way, a burial that had been done on haste on the day before the Sabbath. So how did Jesus bring them from doubt to faith? And how does He bring us from doubt to faith as well? Well, I would suggest that they are the very same way. What we see in the Scripture is that He brought them from doubt to faith by many convincing proofs, Luke says. In Acts 1-3, he made that comment that it was by many convincing proofs. He showed himself to these men that he was alive. When you look at the evidence that the Scripture presents, there are many things that lead us to that conclusion. 
I mean, if you're going to start and looking at the evidence, you start with a dead body. Why do I say that? It's because there are skeptics in our world who have, from time to time, suggested that maybe Jesus didn't really die. Maybe he just kind of fainted on the cross, and when they took him down and laid him in the tomb, he revived in that cold tomb, pushed the stone away, and somehow appeared to his disciples and convinced them that he was alive. Not hardly. There were those who were at the cross that saw him crucified, and they saw him die. The Roman guards that were there, when they came, they were going to take the bodies down, and they wanted to make sure everyone was dead before the Sabbath. And so they came to the man who was crucified on his right and on his left, and they broke their legs so that they would die of suffocation more quickly. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. And so just for good measure, if you will, they took a spear and they pierced his side. They did not know that all of those actions were done in fulfillment of Scripture. But the Scripture had said that not one of his bones would be broken, but they would look upon him whom they had pierced. And so the Scriptures were fulfilled. The centurion who was there when he saw the way in which Jesus died said, Surely this man was the Son of God. There was something different in the way that he responded from the cross and spoke to the people and in the way that he gave himself up to his Father in heaven. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus would come. They would take the body and they would carefully wrap it in linen cloths and they would place spices in between the linen cloth as they were rolled up around the body of Jesus. About a hundred pounds of spices were used in that burial procedure. And Jesus was placed in this tomb, this new tomb, in which no one else had ever been laid. But something happened between those events on Friday and Easter morning. When the women arrive at the tomb on Sunday morning, what do they find? They find an empty tomb. It was not at all, again, what they had expected because after Jesus was laid in that tomb, a large stone had been placed across the entrance. It was rolled in place, and it was a custom at that time to do that, to keep any vandals out or to keep any animals from disturbing the body. But in this case, that stone was made even more secure, as you know, by the placing of a Roman seal upon it and the stationing of a Roman guard of soldiers. The high priest had heard Jesus speak these words that on the third day he would rise again. It's interesting how they grabbed onto that, but the disciples missed it and didn't really understand what he was talking about. And so the high priest wanted to make sure that no one would take the body of Jesus, and so they had this Roman guard stationed outside. And yet when the women come that morning, what do they find? The stones rolled away. There's no Roman guard, and there's no body in the tomb. So who moved the stone? And what happened to the body? When they came back and they told the eleven about all of these things that they had seen and heard that morning, it seemed to the disciples like nonsense. It just seemed like these women were hysterically speaking and telling these things, but Peter, to his credit, went to check it out. And when Peter goes to the tomb, what does he see? Well, he goes inside of the tomb, he sees that there is no body, and he sees the grave clothes. 
the grave clothes. And each of the biblical writers make it very clear that there was something about those clothes that were laying there. They were not cast aside like someone had stolen the body and laid them aside or tossed them in a pile. No, instead, the grave clothes were lying there by themselves. The grave clothes themselves were empty, just like the tomb. It was as though the body had simply vanished, had disappeared from those grave clothes that were there. And Peter looked at this and wondered. And we see John in his gospel talking about going in and seeing these grave clothes lying by themselves, the linens in one spot, the head covering that was there in its own spot. And John saw and he believed. The body was gone. And then you have the resurrection appearances. More than a dozen, over 40 days and beyond that, even if you count Jesus appearing to Stephen and then to Paul and later at his conversion and later when he begins to share the gospel with Paul. Jesus appeared to individuals like Peter and Paul. He appeared to groups like the women at the tomb and to the 11 disciples later as they were gathered in a room. He appeared on one occasion to a crowd of more than 500 people at one time. He appeared in a physical body, like ours, yet different than ours. It was glorified. It had the ability to somehow move in and out of rooms, even though doors were locked. He could appear suddenly with people. He could show up with the men who were walking on the road to Emmaus and then disappear again. Clearly something was different. And yet it was a physical body in which he could eat. He would take food and eat that before them. He would say to them, see here my scars. He would say to them, touch me and see that I am not a ghost or a spirit. I am alive. There were eyewitnesses to all of these things who wrote about what they saw and heard. You could look at the changed lives of the apostles that went from fear to faith where before the cross they had fled in fear for their own lives and later after the resurrection will stand boldly before a hostile crowd and declare that He is the Christ. You'll have the story of the birth of the church and the whole growth of this church movement that has extended around the world. Daryl Bach writes about the church and he says that the resurrection was not created by the church. Rather, the church was created by the resurrection. The church or the apostles did not invent these stories or accounts. They simply reported what they saw and heard. And it was the fact that Jesus was alive that gave birth to the church and caused these men to be willing to lay down their lives for him. Even the change in worship from the Sabbath to the Lord's Day was significant. For all of their life as Jewish believers, they had worshipped on the Sabbath. But now in honor of the resurrection, the believers began to meet on the Lord's Day. And that practice would be continued to our own day. That every Sunday that we meet is a resurrection Sunday. And every time we come together on the Lord's Day, we proclaim the truth that Jesus is alive and He is with us today. Merrill Tenney in his book, The Reality of the Resurrection, wrote that only the Easter fact 
can provide an adequate cause for the Easter faith. The only explanation that fits the evidence the best is the explanation that Jesus is alive. Now how does Jesus show himself today and bring people from doubt to faith? Well, there are many times when he does take people through the evidence that I have just gone through here. And in past uh, times when we've met together, I've shared the stories of men like Lou Wallace or Robert Morrison or Lee Strobel who have come to faith in Christ. They were skeptics. They doubted the truth of it. But as they began to look at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they came to the conclusion that Jesus is the Lord. But there are other ways in which God continues to work through signs and wonders and quite dramatic events where he demonstrates that he is alive and he is real. Through the years, I've loved to read and hear the stories of what happens when the Jesus film, that movie on the life of Christ based on the Gospel of Luke, has been shown around the world to millions of people. And there are so many reports of dramatic healings or miracles that God has done in conjunction with that when people have heard for the very first time about Jesus. One of those stories was a story told by Tom Axelson. He's a man that I've met and I've talked to. He's actually been to our church. He grew up in the Twin Cities area and he works with the Jesus film. Tom was telling about a time when he had the privilege to be in Siberia for a presentation of this film. And they were having a conference there, and there were different teams that were going to go out and show the Jesus film in different parts of the city. And he had uh, this opportunity to go to this presidential palace where it was just jam-packed with people that night. And they showed this two-hour film on the life of Christ. While the film was showing, Tom prayed that God would use this in their life, and he kind of snuck out during the film to get some Bibles. He could tell that people were really interested, and so he wanted to offer Bibles to those that night who wanted them, who had come to know Christ as Savior. When the film ended, uh, he got up and he went through a presentation of the four spiritual laws. Talked about how God loves us. He has a plan for our life. Talked about how we are sinful and separated from God, and that's why Jesus came. He died on the cross to forgive us our sins and to pay the penalty that we deserve. And he talked about how we must individually receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. We need to come to that place where we surrender our life to Him and ask Him to forgive our sins and be our Savior. And that night as he spoke and shared those gospel truths, people began to weep in the audience and they were deeply moved. And when he asked those who wanted to receive Christ that night to do so, many did. And then he asked if they wanted Bibles and and, um, he was just simply mobbed at the front of this auditorium as people came forward. And his translator was there and she was trying to tell him something, but because of all the noise and the confusion, all he understood was that a lot of people wanted a lot of Bibles. And so he began to hand those out. Well, after the crowd had left and things had quieted down, she said to Tom, she said, did you understand what I was saying there? And he said, no, I didn't. All I got was that they wanted Bibles. And she said, what the people were saying was that while you were speaking and sharing the gospel, they saw Jesus standing next to you. They saw a vision of the risen Christ in that auditorium standing next to you. 
And that is why they were so deeply moved and began to sob with tears. This woman who is a translator herself talked about, I want you to know how significant this is for me tonight, what happened as well. Because when I was 13 years old, I asked Jesus to be my Savior. But my dad was a high communist official. And I had begun to speak out about Christ and tell others about him. And there was pressure put on my father to tell me to shut up. To no longer talk about Jesus. And I stopped out of fear for my dad. And tonight is the first night that I have publicly shared about my own faith in Christ in many, many years. And what she saw God do that night changed her life as well as the lives of so many others. Time and time again, we've heard those stories where God has moved in these kind of unusual ways to demonstrate that He is real. In our own country, He uses different circumstances often to get our attention. Sometimes it's the trials we're going through. Sometimes it's Uh, the blessings He gives even that make us aware that there has to be someone who is watching out over us. In many different ways, God demonstrates by many convincing proofs that He is alive and He is Lord if we will simply look for it. But the primary way that God speaks to us is through the Scriptures, through the Word of God, And that is what we see in this passage in Luke. When the women were at the tomb wondering what had happened to the body of Jesus, Luke tells us that two men stood beside him. These were not ordinary men from the description you read. It says that their clothes gleamed like lightning. These were angels. The same words are used to describe them here as was used to describe Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when he too, his glory shone through and his clothes became whiter than any launderer could whiten them. And these two angels that appeared there gave this rebuke to the women. And they said, why do you look for the living among the dead? I mean, why are you here? Why are you here looking for Jesus in a grave? He is not here. He has risen from the dead. And don't you remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee? Don't you remember these words? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered His words. The truth of what Jesus had said came home in their hearts. You see, in Luke's Gospel, there are at least three places where Jesus tells them plainly what's going to happen to him in the days ahead. After Peter's confession that you are the Christ of God, the Messiah, Jesus tells them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer and die, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. After the transfiguration... That great miracle. Again, he tells them what's going to happen. And uh, the note is there that they didn't understand it. They didn't understand what he was saying. And they were afraid to ask him. Ever been like that? Sometimes kids are like that. You know, you get an instruction from your parents, you know, to do this or that. And they don't want to appear to be dumb. And so they don't ask. Well, that's kind of how the disciples were here. They just were afraid to ask. And then on the way to Jerusalem, in these 
final days leading up to the time when he would be crucified. Luke 18, 31 to 34 says this, and you can go to the next slide. That Jesus took the twelve aside and he told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. It's hard for us to imagine that on this side of the cross. You know, it seems pretty plain, doesn't it? It seems really clear what Jesus was saying was going to happen to them. I don't know if they took it metaphorically or they didn't understand, you know, all of what was going on. It seems that their minds were closed. They were so convinced that Jesus, as the Messiah, was going to be this conquering king that they had no place for a Messiah that would suffer and die. And so what does Jesus do? He takes them to the Scriptures. We see that again, that the two men that were walking on the road to Emmaus in Luke uh, chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. And I won't read the whole thing, I'll just reference it. They're going home after the Passover and they're talking about the latest news and what's happened in Jerusalem. And while they are talking, a third person comes up to them who is Jesus, but they are kept from recognizing Jesus. And he hears their conversation and so he begins to ask them about it. And they are incredulous. You haven't heard? I mean, you haven't heard? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who hasn't heard about these things? I always chuckle at that because I think Jesus is having some fun with them that day. He's listening to their concerns and their thoughts. He knows what's going on. And he is there just to listen to them. And they begin to share how we had hoped that he was the Messiah, the one who was going to come. I mean, we had these tremendous hopes and aspirations and desires. And then we saw Jesus crucified and all hope died. And Jesus rebukes them that day, not because they didn't believe the women at the tomb. He rebukes them because they didn't believe the Scriptures. And again, in verses 25 to 27, he says this, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He took them to the scriptures, and the light dawned, and then they remembered his words. And when Jesus is taken from them, he disappears from their presence. They say to one another, were not our hearts burning when he opened the scriptures to us? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt that great conviction that comes when God speaks so powerfully through His Word that you are convicted by the truth of it, by the message it says, and you have got to share that news with someone else? Time and time again, God gets our attention, but the place that He brings us is to the Word of God. There's a story that's told by Joel Rosenberg 
about some of the events that are happening in the Middle East where, again, people are having visions of Christ and they'll hear Christ say to them, you know, I want you to go. And uh, I've heard missionaries tell stories about being in a restaurant and, and there's been a man who has come to them and they'll say, are you the man who has the book? Are you the one who has the book? And they'll go, what book is it you are looking for? The book about Jesus. And I was told in a vision that if I came to this place, you would have this book and they would get it and they would read and come to know Christ in a deeper way. Well, Joel Rosenberg tells a story about one time where that had happened in a village and there were a number of people that had this vision of Jesus and they had come wanting to know Him. They wanted to know more about Him, but they didn't have the book. And one of the older men in the village had an angel appear to him and said that if you will go to this certain road and you will wait there, some men will come by who will have a book for you. And so he goes down to this road and he's sitting on a rock and he's waiting. And just as you know, God would have it, there were two men who that day, and this is in the country of Iran, were bringing Bibles into that country. And they came driving down this highway and all of a sudden their car kind of locked up and they didn't know what was going on and they had to pull over to the side of the road. Man knocks on the window. Are you the man with the book? Do you have the book? And here they are with, you know, many, many Bibles in their car. They hear the story of what this man said and they share with him the Scripture. And my point in that is how God may use different things to get our attentions in this life. But the place where He takes us is to the Scriptures so that we might understand who Jesus is and understand the Gospel plainly. That night, Luke tells us that as the disciples gathered to gather again in this closed room with doors locked, they are afraid, they are confused, they meet in secret, and Jesus appears to them. He just kind of pops right in. He's right there. The doors are locked. There's no barrier for him now in his glorified body. And what does Jesus do? He too rebukes them. Gently, lovingly, but he rebukes them. And he says to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? I mean, look at me. Touch me and see I am not a ghost. I am real and I am alive. Don't you remember? And he takes them to the Scriptures and he shares these words that we see again in Luke chapter 24, 44 and 45. That this is what I told you while I was still with you. That everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. You know, what encourages me most about this is that when Jesus used the Scriptures in our life, that is something that is accessible to all of us. It's something that we in our country have the opportunity. We can take a Bible, you can find it, and you can take and you can read these stories about Jesus firsthand. There are people in other countries, as I shared in those stories, who don't have that privilege. But they want this book. Give me the book, the Bible, so that I can come to know Christ. And if anyone had a high view of Scripture, it was Jesus. He told His disciples and He tells us that heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will never pass away. His words are eternal. 
He told his disciples that if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is the place to come, to find life, to find the words of truth, to come to know me. And Jesus prayed and he asked the Father to sanctify us in the truth. God's Word is truth. That's why when we come to our worship services on a Sunday morning, we give such a high regard to the Scripture. It's why we want everything that we do to be based upon the authority and the power of His Word. This is where the truth is. These are the words of life that show us how to live. And so how does Jesus bring us from doubt to faith? Well, He does it by many convincing proofs. He does whatever it will take to bring us to that point of faith. But He does it also by the power of His Word when He brings home the truth of the Gospel to our heart. It's the same way that He deals with our life circumstances when we are dealing with struggles. How does He give comfort to us when we are troubled? By the power of His Word. How does He give us direction when we need guidance? It's through His Word. How does He bring us to salvation? It's by the promises of His Word. And what we find when we come to the Scriptures is that God keeps His promises and we can trust Him. Where are you at in your relationship with Christ today? Have you come to know Him as Savior and Lord? Then rejoice in Him and trust in His Word and give God thanks for it. But if you're here today and you are a person who has doubts, well, I encourage you to take a look at the evidence that is there. And if you've come to that point where this morning you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to do that as we close in prayer. And you could pray with me a simple prayer that will invite Jesus to come into your life and to forgive your sins. And He will take you at your word because God keeps His promises. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank You that You are alive and that You are here and with us by Your Spirit today. And Father, You know our hearts and where we stand in our relationship with You. And if you're here this morning and you want to invite Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, would you simply pray these words with me? Lord Jesus, I need You. And I open the door of my heart and I invite You to come into my life to be my Savior and Lord. Forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me. And show me your will for my life. I want to know you better. I want to follow you. Jesus, thank you that you died for me. If you prayed that prayer and you simply and quietly in your heart ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, he will do that. But he wants you to grow in that relationship with him. And so I want to encourage you to continue to pursue that, to join with us, to read the scriptures, and to continue to follow him. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.